Isaac had just finished the blessing, blessing Jacob, and Jacob had secretly left his father's presence, meaning like he slipped out the back part of the tent. And when his brother Esau returned from the hunt, he also prepared some tasty food and brought it to his father Esau. You get this sense that they're just barely missed each other. I mean, if this is a movie, the tension is like, oh, one's coming around the corner and the other one's there, and then boom, they just barely miss each other, and then Esau goes to prepare the food. And if he just came in like 30 seconds earlier, it would have exploded. And so he makes the food. So he also prepared some tasty food and brought it to his father. And Esau said to him, my father, get up and eat some of your son's wild game. And then you can bless me. His father, Isaac, asked, who are you? I'm your firstborn son. He replied, Esau. Isaac began to shake violently. And asked, then who else hunted game and brought it to me? I ate all of it just before you arrived, and I blessed him. He will indeed be blessed. Now, this is interesting. This violent, shaking violently, is the word, a Hebrew word means trembling. This is the trembling that is used when God and his fire and lightning and thunder and earthquake comes down on Mount Sinai before Israel, and it says that the people begin to tremble with fear to the point that they said, we don't even want to hear the voice of God. And that's the word used here. It's the word used when God shows up in a giant fire, whirlwind, hurricane, and comes down on Job, and he is in fear. And this isn't just trembled, it's Emphasis, very much trembling. A lot of translations may say shaked, shook violently, which means a greater fear than what Israel experienced when God came upon them, which means you have an, an Isaac who is really horrified. What has he just done? Now the question is, why would that horrify him so much? Yes, you would be angry. Yes, you would be disappointed. But why would you experience the same trembling that Israel experienced when they came before God because your other son got the blessing? And notice that Esau's immediate response is that he wailed loudly and bitterly. Remember the overdramatic guy? Now, he has a little bit more reason to be dramatic because he just lost his future inheritance. But what's also interesting is this is Isaac's response and this is Esau's response. But neither one even cared to think what Jacob's response would be when he found out that he wasn't getting blessed. Notice that what had just happened to Esau and Isaac is exactly what Isaac wanted to do to Jacob. Which means, if this is their response, Isaac doesn't care if this is how Jacob felt when he didn't get blessed. And so you see, definitely dysfunctional. He said to his father, bless me too, my father. But Isaac replied, your brother came in here deceitfully and took away your blessing. Esau exclaimed, Jacob is the right name for him. He has tripped me up two times. Now this is where the name changes. And the pun, he changes the pun from grabbing the heel as in we're one, we're brothers. 
like when SWAT goes into a house and they grab a hold of the belt of the guy in front of them to maintain a team. And I'm, I'm grabbing all your belt because we're partners. And I've got your six, your back. And he changes the pun to, I'm grabbing your belt to throw you down on the ground because I don't like you kind of an idea. It's the same imagery, but with different intentions. And so from this point on, Jacob is going to be known as the deceiver because his brother gives him that title. And he changes the name. So yes, God will see Jacob as the one who trips up, the one who deceives, but not because that's what his parents named him, but that's because who he will end up becoming in his character and personality. And so he gets a new name change. And just like Abraham got a new name, Jacob is too, but it's not good. And so this is where we get the idea of Jacob being the deceiver, the tripper-upper. He took away my birthright two times. He's keeping records. Which also says something. Esau swore an oath to give his birthright to Jacob, which is legally binding in the ancient world. Which means Esau is not a man of his word. Because if Esau was truly honoring a covenant, he would have said to Isaac, you can't give it to me, Dad. I already sold it. So just as Isaac is not valuing the covenant by giving it to somebody else, Esau's not valuing his covenant word by not telling his dad. And so nobody really cares about anybody. <laughs> They're all just being truly selfish here. And no one is a man of their word in this sense. Everybody is deceiving everybody. Which is interesting that then now Esau is a hypocrite. That's why he should be called deceiver. Never mind the fact that I didn't tell the truth when it came to the covenant promises. Because the ends justifies the means. No, it doesn't, but that's what they think. Have you kept back any blessing for me? Isaac replied to Esau, Look, I have made him lord over you. I have made all of his relatives his servants and provided him with grain and new wine. What is left that I can give for you, my son? Now, here's the question. Why can't he? If your word, I mean... Is there some kind of metaphysical, cosmic binding to this blessing that they can't undo it? Is it just because he's a man of his word? Which is very interesting considering the fact that he's not obeying God and that none of his sons are men of their word? Like, most commentators ask the question, like, why? I mean, obviously you want him to be such a man of word that he can't transfer the blessing to others. But at the same time, don't you think there's a little clause in there like, I didn't know it was you? Or maybe I screwed up and I should do it right and give both my sons the blessing. But there's a sense that he feels carved in stone on this. And he can't transfer it. And then Esau wept loudly. So his father Isaac said to him, he ends up giving him a blessing, but it's kind of an anti-blessing. So his father Isaac said, Indeed, your home will be away from the richness of the earth and away from the dew of the sky above, 
and you will live by your sword, but you will serve your brother, and when you grow restless, you will tear off your, his yoke from your neck. At that point, you kind of wonder, if you really love Esau more than the others, why give him that blessing? It's almost like it's one thing that you didn't give him the blessing, but then you turn around and say, I'm going to give you a blessing of your life being crappy. And he, he, it's the anti, it's the opposite of everything that Jacob got. But notice there's one little gem there. There will come a day that you'll throw your brother's yoke off your neck. You won't always be a servant. This is interesting because later Esau's descendants are going to become the Edomites. They're going to live south of um, southeast of Canaan and the Dead Sea. And it's a very barren land. It's amazing that anybody was able to actually survive there as many years as the Edomites did, which means you're, you don't have the dew of the earth. You're not going to have the blessings of the new grain. They're going to literally work incredibly hard to eke a life out of that soil. It's so barren. But they're also going to be oppressed by Israel. Many times Israel is going to put them under their yoke. There's going to be constant conflict. Esau, the Edomites, are going to be a bit more antagonistic towards Israel than any other nation. But at the same time, Israel is going to constantly enslaved in the time of David, in the time of Solomon, and again under John Hyrcanus, the, the second who will come right before Christ. And they will constantly be oppressed over and over and over and over again. Until one day, the, as they intermarry with the Jews, they will cease to become the Edomites and they'll become known as Edomia. I can't say it now. Edomia. And a guy is going to come from the distance of Esau, and his name is going to be Herod the Great. And he's going to throw off the yoke of the Jews and become their king and end up oppressing them. And that is the day when Antipater, Herod the Great's father, and then Herod the Great, and then Herod Agrippa, and then Herod um, Antipas, all the Herods, all the way through the Gospels, and all through Acts, and the life of Paul, will just keep dominating and oppressing Israel over and over and over again. And so Isaac doesn't know that, but that's exactly how the prophecy is going to play out. So verse 41. So Esau hated Jacob because of the blessing his father had given him to his brother. And Esau said privately, the time of mourning for my father is near, then I will kill my brother Jacob. Which immediately takes you back to Cain and Abel. The same old sin. And now you really see it. And why does he wait till his father is dead? Because he wants to please his father. And we're going to get that sense a little bit later when it comes to the wives. And he wants to please his father. So he's going to wait till his father's dead, then he doesn't have to please him anymore, and he'll kill Jacob. Now, Rebekah overheard this, and she quickly summoned her younger brother, son Jacob, and told him, look, your brother Esau's planning to get revenge for killing you. Now then, my son, do what I say, run away. Now, did she misunderstand the report? Did she overhear it wrong? Because Esau made it clear it won't be until my father dies, which means Jacob's got time. But she senses an intense immediacy here to run away. And then she says, so I don't lose both my sons in one day. Now, what does that mean? 
It means that if Esau kills Jacob, then Jacob is now dead. But then the tribal clan has a responsibility to kill Esau because that's the penalty for murder, especially of your own brother. It's called the kinsman redeemer, okay, who, the, 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 or the, the avenger, the avenger, the kinsman redeemer. And so then she'll be left without two sons from a situation that she fanned into flames. And now it's going to come back and kick her in the rear. Now then, my son, do what I say. Run away immediately to my brother Laban, to Haran, and live with him for a little while until your brother's rage subsides. Stay there until your brother's anger is again subsides and he forgets what you did to him. Or you left out the what you did to him too. <laughs> and then I'll send someone to bring you back from there. Why should I lose both of you one day? Now here's, this has got irony written all over it. She says, run to my brother Laban for protection. And then in a little while, when Esau's anger subsides, you can come back home. But as you know, when you keep reading the story, you find out that Laban's not going to provide any kind of protection. He's going to end up enslaving Jacob for 20 years. And then not only that, he doesn't come back in a little while. He comes back in 20 years because of what her brother is going to do to her son. And so the reality is that she, in her love for favoring Jacob more than her other son, her deception is going to lead to her favorite son running away and never coming back in her lifetime. This will be the last time that she ever sees him. She will die in the 20 years that Jacob is gone because of her act of deception because she didn't trust in God. And if God would have done it, you would have had a family together and the blessing done right. But instead, you're going to have a family that is torn apart and dysfunctional. Now, she has to get permission from Isaac to do this. She just can't send him away. Then Rebekah said to Isaac, I am deeply depressed because of these daughters of Heath. If Jacob were to marry one of these daughters of Heath who live in this land, I would want to die. Now, this is the cleverness of Rebecca. Rebecca can't just say, hey, I want to send Isaac away because your son Esau wants to kill him. Because what is a father who favors Esau more over the other son going to immediately do? Esau's not trying to kill him. Esau's not a bad kid. I mean, if you're seriously favoring a son that much that you're willing to disobey God to give him the blessing and cheat your other son completely out of the blessing, it probably means that you're not going to be able to see that Esau is capable of murdering like that. And, and, and most parents would say, not my child. And so if she went to him like, say, hey, we got to send Isaac away for protection because Esau's trying to kill him, he might go in defensive mode and say, no, that wouldn't happen. You're overreacting, woman. But instead, she plays on what they both have in common. They hate the Hittite women. But notice that she doesn't say the Hittite women that Esau has married or the wives of Esau because he already hates them. We know that. The narrator already told us that Isaac doesn't like them and constantly wants them gone. But if she says Esau's wives, 
it might unintentionally connect favor to the wives when he hears the name Esau. But instead she says the Hittite women so that they can both have something in common, their hatred for those women. And then notice that she says she emphasizes they're both their angst. We want to die. They're that miserable. And then she stops and lets him make the decision of sending Isaac away. And maybe she remembers, remember, who sent for her? Abraham. So maybe she's hoping that Isaac will remember that and do the same thing for Jacob now that she planted a backdoor thought in his head of sending Isaac away. Well, the logical conclusion would be to go to the same place that my father Abraham sent my servant to get me a wife. By the way, Jacob's still not married. And so that's exactly what he does. So Isaac called for Jacob and blessed him, and then he commanded him, you must not marry the Canaanite woman, leave immediately for Badam Aram, and go to the house of Bethuel, your mother's father, and find yourself a wife there among the daughters of Laban. And so even now, she's subtly manipulating him and using the right words to play the right chords and his emotions. And then he blesses him. May the sovereign God bless you. May he make you fruitful and give you multiple descendants. And then you will become a large nation. And may he give you and your descendants the blessing he gave to Abraham, so that you may possess the land that God gave to Abraham and the land where you have been living as a temporary resident. So Isaac sent Jacob on his way. Now notice that that blessing sounds like the Abrahamic covenant. Why did he feel the need to bless him again? He already gave him a blessing. Maybe, and all, you're probably going to have a lot of thinking to do after this incredible traumatic event. Maybe he's finally realized that his son has been blessed. There's nothing you can do about it. Or maybe he's remembering the prophecy of God and thinking, wow, <laughs> this is maybe not the way that I would like to have happened, but God's prophecy did come true. And so maybe he settles into the realization that this is what God wanted, and I might as well give the blessing the way it's supposed to be done. Who knows? But it's interesting that we don't ever get a second blessing from a father in any other stories. Abraham gives one blessing to Isaac. Jacob is going to give one blessing to each son. But Isaac gives two blessings. One that doesn't sound like the Abrahamic covenant and the second that does. So there's some kind of realization that has happened between these two events. They finally just accepts the reality of what has just happened. And so he sends them to Padam Aran, or Haran, Laban of Bethel the Arminian, the brother of Rebekah, the mother of Jacob, of Esau. Verse 6, Esau saw that Isaac had blessed Jacob and sent him off to Padam Aram to find a wife there. And he blessed him. Isaac commanded him, you must not marry a Canaanite woman. And Jacob obeyed his father and mother and left for Padam Aram. And then Esau realized that the Canaanite women were displeasing to his father Isaac. You just now realized? After all the same school stories? And things that your parents have probably been reacting to your wives that you just now realize that Isaac doesn't like your wives? So remember, this is the guy who desperately wants to please his father because he desperately is hoping that maybe a crumb of a blessing will come out somewhere eventually. And so he goes to him and he goes off and he marries an Ishmaelite. 
Now here's the ding dong. You really think that becoming more of a polygamist is going to win you favor in the eyes of God and Isaac? Like, okay, I'm already married to two women that my father doesn't like. Let's go marry a third woman. Because, yeah, marrying multiple women has really worked out for everybody before you. But the other thing, too, is he marries an Ishmaelite. So he's paid attention enough to realize that Ishmael is a descendant of Abraham, but he didn't pay attention enough to know that Ishmaelite was the guy who treated Isaac like crap his entire childhood, abused him, and mocked him. And you would think that marrying into the family of the guy that mistreated your father is a good way of getting your father to like you <laughs> and pleasing? And that the guy who didn't get the Abrahamic covenant and blessings is a good way to get the Abrahamic covenant and blessings? It's like he was half awake for that Sunday school class. All right? Oh, Ishmael, the descendant of Abraham, Abraham's son, got a blessing, yeah. But totally missed the whole like mistreating and mocking and abuse and the rejection of God, the Abrahamic promise, and not being chosen as a firstborn son. And he becomes like Ishmael in more ways than he even realizes because not only is he acting like Ishmael and not being someone who wants the birthright, not getting the firstborn birthright, but he ends up marrying into Ishmael, sealing the deal of who he really truly is in this family, missing the whole point all the time. And so you just get the idea that Esau just doesn't get the theology here, which kind of makes sense because remember, if Isaac is the one who spent the most time with him, this is the Isaac that blessed without Abrahamic covenant words. And this is the Isaac that did not obey the prophecy of God, which means this is most likely the passive Isaac who hasn't really been teaching Esau the Sunday school stories. But on the other side too, Esau is probably the, the guy who won't sit still and really pay attention and doesn't really value it because he didn't even value his own birthright and valued soup more. And so there's a combination of parent and son guilt here or they really just didn't do it. Now, that doesn't mean Rebecca was doing an awesome job, because obviously Jacob is not valuing it for the right reasons either. But you just get the sense of what happened. And at this point, you're realizing Abraham was just one generation ago. Abraham's the grandfather. And Abraham is old enough, if you do the math, Esau and Jacob would have known Abraham. Was, were they, did they live too far away? Is Abraham as a grandfather not powerful enough of a force in the life of I, their family? But it just emphasizes the fact that it, all it took was one generation from this man to be so incredibly faithful to God that even though he screwed up a lot, that God would call him righteous and that he'd be willing to offer up his own son to these two sons who seem to have no idea who God is and how to really value things. And if, what happened to Isaac, the guy who was willing to lie, lay himself on an altar to be sacrificed and yet is now blatantly disobeying God for his own appetite? One generation and the, the Abraham covenant has been lost. Not completely lost, but you're going to have to dig deep to find it in those mines somewhere. And so this is a warning. This is a warning. That the passivity, yes, God blessed the passivity of Isaac. 
But the passivity of Isaac did not produce a future generation of believers. 